0: Hello and welcome to episode 151 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Mori in the chair and pe- preparing for the sleep war that is about to unfold as the Open Championship is played out at Royal Liverpool. Terrible time of day for us to watch down here for the ending. There's been no end of talk already about the event and what is shaping to be a controversial new hole at the Par 3 And look, no doubt we're going to touch on that today as well, but I wanted to zoom out a bit further than just this week's going on and talk, and talk about golf in the UK more generally. For those who've been, it's a special and spiritual experience. For those who haven't, you'll want to after hearing from today's guest, Mike Clayton. Clayton's already been in that part of the world for a couple of weeks, and there's no doubt encountered dozens of golfers from all over the world making the pilgrimage. Clayton's along in just a moment, but first... There's been a change in the batting order with Adrian Logue out injured with work commitments, which means Golf Australia magazine. Uh, deputy and digital editor Jimmy Emanuel moves up to take the abdice position. Jimmy, no pressure, but this is a massive and perhaps career-defining opportunity for you. Uh, let's hope you don't make a meal
1: of it. Uh, I've never felt less pressure replacing <laughs> Adrian Logue in something. So.
0: Yeah, playing from the tips to Logue nil, good, good, one. Logue,
1: yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> who needs him? And I think he's the only person who will be at the Open this week
2: who's arrived there from Romania.
0: Uh, yeah, I think you probably. You're probably, hell,
2: probably. What, is it, what, is he, what is he doing in Romania? Well, In fact, there's a, there's a story about-
0: No, you're right, Clayton. So I'll, introduce, I'll introduce you later. You go ahead. Sorry.
2: Sorry. <laughs> sorry on, Sorry on.
0: And ladies and gentlemen, Mike Clayton from uh, Liverpool. What are you going to say? What are you talking about?
2: Well, just down the road from where I'm staying, there's a hotel- but the RNA booked out and paid a £50,000 deposit, allegedly, quite a few years ago. And then the owner, I mean, I assume they booked the hotel before they announced the open's coming, so they don't get completely raped with yeah. the prices. But mm-hmm. um, the owner sold the hotel and it was taken over by people who, Filled it up with Romanian refugees who were still living in there. So, of course, no one—the RNA having booked out the hotel—found they couldn't use it. Okay, so it a little, little messy. Apparently, maybe he loads anyway,
1: with his his fellow Romanian. <laughs> Could <laughs> <Yeah, well>.
0: <laughs> Romanian refugee. Uh, that's an odd sort of a story, Clates, and you're, you've already proved your value in being here because I've not read or heard anything about that anywhere else. So there you go. Well, that'll, that'll be a uh, trick interesting. For where do you find suddenly at the last minute accommodation around Liverpool or an open venue? One of the things that happens when the open comes to town, Clates, and especially a lot of the places where it goes to, they're not really set up to cater for thousands of people flocking in for a week, are they? What do you do in that circumstance, I wonder?
2: Well... People rent houses, which, you know, there are people who are renting houses for uh, $10, $20, 30 40 $50,000 for the week. Yep. Yep. So staggering amounts of money. So, yeah, yeah I mean, if it, you know, there's, a, there's an eight bedroom house, I mean, if you're a player and you, you put eight players in the thing for $50,000 for the week, probably not a bad deal, really. So oh, Absolutely.
0: I, I imagine there are people who specialize in finding that clothes because for somebody like Tiger or Rory, a, privacy is hugely important. B, money's not an issue, is it? So- No,
2: no. So it's, yeah. So, yeah, each. I mean, Hoylate gets its shot this year, which is once in a five or 10-year window to- the people who live who are happy to rent their houses that make a lot of money for the week. Yeah, absolutely. And They're I don't think that I
0: don't think that's a bad thing. That's good old-fashioned capitalism, isn't it? You know if you're going to go to the open that's going to be an expensive possibly a once in a lifetime trip. Nobody has to go to the open. So there's no reason, no problem I don't think with the local area cashing in on the event. That that's my thought, thoughts on that. Yeah, no, that's probably reasonable. And when we see at the Vic Open, don't we, Jimmy down at the Vic Open, those cafes and restaurants oh, yeah. and bars, they love when the Vic Open comes to town. It's, it's one of the best weeks of the year for them. Vic
1: opens one of the hardest places to get a place to stay. Yeah, exactly. A it's yeah. impossible.
2: So, so I guess, but I guess they missed out on the Commonwealth Games, obviously, because the golf was going to be at Thirteenth wow. Beach. Oh, well, wasn't re- it? There's re- not going to be a Commonwealth Games. There's well, no that, Commonwealth Games at Thirteenth Beach anymore.
0: Well, no Commonwealth no. Games at all. I wouldn't think you can't just suddenly no
2: move Commonwealth Games at all. yeah. So it's a no, year pretty. out. Will that be I, the end I of thought, it? I thought. I thought that was why we had Clates
1: on to talk. Commonwealth Games cancellations as the mayor of Victoria
0: <laughs> behind the scenes with Mike Clayton an old new podcast there <laughs> with what's going on yeah well that be the
1: that'll be the end of the Commonwealth Games manager I don't follow other sports oh, well, as you know but, but... It, it's it has to be I mean it uh, uh, Robert Lisenich, uh I think it was uh, I think it was Lusetich or it was one of the older Aussie journos I follow who said oh, 40, 40, he's not 40 years like in, that yeah, yeah, cop that. Uh, <laughs> Said, you know, like thirty or forty years ago, we used to refer to the Commonwealth Games as the school school games, school schoolboys events. Yeah, and we're now further down the track, and they mean even less. So, who wants to pay whatever the billion dollar number was to host those? Yeah, it's um, it's crazy.
2: Yeah, I think it was Greg Borm writing in the Age. Was it? Greg? I think it was Greg saying, "Is anyone a year from now going to think or worry or regret the fact we're not running the Commonwealth Games in?" Regional Victoria anymore?
0: Well, they've priced themselves out of the market. As have the Olympics. Wasn't Brisbane the only city that bid yeah, the Olympics yeah, for twenty? 20- yeah, I mean, yeah. that tells you something, doesn't it? Your product's not going well. Uh, Clates, you probably got Lascic's number in your in your phone. There, send him a text and tell him that Jimmy
1: called. I, him I, old. I don't. I don't know if it was Lascic. So let's, <laughs> let's, let's let's go easy. <laughs> you still called him old.
0: Enough about that. Let's get back to the golf. Clates, where have you been? Last time we caught up with you, in fact, it's been quite a treat for us. It was only about two or three weeks ago.
2: You were in Dallas. Where have you been since? I was, in Dallas. Oh, I was in Dallas. Well, I we went from Dallas to Chicago where we're Mike DeVries and Frank Potton. I was the first time the three of us were in a room together, having started our business three years ago. We're, we've got a job at a place called Indian Hill, which is where Lawrence Herity, who caddied for Bob Shearer a lot, including when he won the Australian Open against Nicholas in 82. Lawrence caddied there with... Uh, Bill Murray and his brothers oh. who all caddied. Ah, oh, that's so the club that they came from, right. So there's there's a bit of um Indian Hill and in Caddyshack, Shack a little bit. Okay. But so, so we went to meet the members there then I went with Mike DeVries up to Traverse City where Mike lives. So we played Crystal Downs which I played in 2002, McKenzie Course up in the top of Michigan. And then we played the Kingsley Club which Mike designed about 20 years ago which is a Fabulous course. I knew it was good, but I wasn't ready for how good it was. So I went from there to London, Caddy for Elvis, Smiley in the open qualifier, which he missed. Played decently, but he now knows that when you're in long, thick, wet, green grass, you need to hang on to the club as tight as you can or it's going to turn over. So he hit two shots out of the long gray grass. He went sideways, straight into the rough on the other side of the fairway. So I can't believe the club's just twisting in my hands. <laughs> like, Elvis, you do know you've got to hang on as tight as you can to stop it twisting. Oh, do you? Because, of course, we don't ever play in that stuff no. over here. No, that's right. It, 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 so you learn that pretty quickly playing over here. So from there, I, we went to, um, was it Royal Dublin? We're working at Royal Dublin. So I was over there for a couple of days, stayed with, Colin Byrne, who was an ex-caddy of mine who caddies for Louis Oosthuizen on the Live Tour.
0: And who oh, I'm hunting down for the um, thing about uh, golf the,
2: podcast. I must, I'll, I'll see him this week. But <laughs> yes, I know. His interesting comment was, well, not many of these guys actually want to go back and play on the PGA Tour. They're perfectly happy where they are. He said, who doesn't want to work less and get paid more? So it'll be, yeah, Well, that, I don't, think, any, that, I don't think anyone has a clue how this thing's going to play out. No, they don't. The, the, the counter to that, obviously, they,
0: the, the counter to that, though, Clates, is had any of them wanted to play the Scottish Open last week to prepare for this week, they can't. Yeah, they can. not And, true, and, but and should, should they want to take the week off when they're playing in Adelaide, they can't, and they're all used to being able to do that. So it's a very different ball game in that sense, I think.
2: But they're playing 14. I mean, Louis finished fourth in centurion the thing in london and made a million bucks
0: oh i get yeah. that there's no question the money's fantastic so, but yeah so. if, you, if your career is about notching up wins and things there's some inconveniences about playing for live i think that yeah, uh, I'm,
2: no i'm not sure there are a lot of guys i think there are just a lot of guys out there very happy being paid what they're being paid and uh, playing 14 weeks a year and three rounds and no cut and
0: four million for a win and what is it, 200 and something thousand if you finish dead last in the field of the 48th? Yeah,
2: 100, 180 US. 100, 100, whatever it is, yeah. US, yeah. So, not bad. so when we went from Royal Dublin, we went back to, I came back to the Addington, which is a great course in Croydon, south of London, where we're building it. we're building it. It's turning out to be a 19th hole. We're actually building the second green that was designed for the 12th hole. We put a 10, it's, it's a short par three right after that. Ninth hole, and we've extended the T back on ten and made a par five. So from there we went to where we go from there. Um, place called Spay Bay. A bunch of guys raised money, crypto money, and they bought a course in up near Nan, way in the northeast of Scotland. Which uh, Frank Pont, our other partner, had sort of talked down and yeah, you know, it's it's okay. you, know, you guys will you'll see what it's like it's kind of decent it, it's an out and back course and on the sea and we didn't expect that much really mike and i we got there on uh, before the other guys we got there about 7 30 on sunday morning and got about 300 yards off the first hole and said my god this place is unbelievable i mean the fairway contouring is incredible Right in the ocean there, there are three really bad holes but they're kind of easily fixed and there's some phenomenal land on the back nine, and it's, I mean, there's no such thing as a hidden gem anymore. No, in the age of travel and the internet, mm. having said that, this thing is a hidden gem. I'd never heard of it. In fact, Huggy, who lives over here, said, I know Spay Bay, that, that's where Brooks Kepka won a challenge tour event. Okay, okay, <laughs> Brooks Kepka won a challenge tour event at Spay Valley. So not even hugging knew the difference. Between oh right, Bay Valley and Bay <laughs> yeah, Bay at the,
0: the wrong course so, so there you
2: go, good. So it's it's up in. So uh, it's a very cool job. And then we drove. To, um, we went to Fraserburgh, which is funny story. I can swear on this podcast. Don't I know. Um, it's where it's where <laughs> you're <were> about to. <laughs>
1: I'm
2: about to. I'm, I'm about to quote the taxi driver. It's where Hannah Green's mum's from.
1: Yeah. Ah. Huh
2: which is this little, so I thought this romantic Scottish seaside village up on the up on the coast there, fishing village. So Mike and I got in a taxi. We had to, we took the train up to, it's a long story. We took the train up from London to Aberdeen. We had to take a taxi from the station to the airport to pick up the rental car So we're in the taxi, and we're talking to the taxi driver. He said, where are you going, guys? Oh, we're going to the golf course in Fraserburgh. He said, ah, he said, shithole. Drugs and fishermen. <laughs> That's what he said. So shithole, drugs and fishermen. Oh, we laughed, and of course we got there. It's a beautiful little town. You know, it's like a lot of Scottish towns. There's not a lot of money yeah. in them, and you can buy a beautiful house for two hundred thousand pounds. Every house has got a water view, pretty much, because it's right yeah. near to the sea. Little fishing. You know, it, was, it was a fishing village. Still is. Yeah,
0: they can't. The golf course they, is. They can't you know, the survive those places, is, can they?
2: Kind of rudimentary, but it's got some really—you know—it's got a couple of the first and the last are dead flat. Then you get up in the hills, and uh, the thirteenth hole was a hole that um, was copied on the as, as the ninth hole on the Olympic course in Rio. It's a brilliant hole, but it's one of the few places in Britain in Europe where you can build in the sand dunes because the club owns the sand dunes; it's owned them. Own, it's, a, it's the seventh oldest golf course in the world, 1777, and they own the sand dunes. And um, if we can find some investors, there's 36 holes of golf in phenomenal sand dunes, which is not going to happen again. You, well, no, not so, in Scotland so especially. That was interesting.
0: Hmm.
2: And we drove down to the open via a place called Southern S, which is the southernmost links in Scotland. Good course. You know, it's nothing... It's off the beaten track a bit. It's near Sillith, across the water from Sillith, but very good, you know, really good, solid British golf. And it's why, how you started, English golf and British golf is brilliant in terms of its quality in such a small and accessible area. Yeah. And you can, there's great golf in America, but it's inaccessible largely and hugely expensive. Yeah, you know, Australia is sort of somewhere in between, really. I think. Yeah, Australia is sensible. I mean, Royal Melbourne. I mean, Royal Melbourne at eight hundred dollar green fee. What's that? Five hundred pounds or something. That's kind of that's the world. That's the market rate for Royal Melbourne. Right. It's one of the. It it's might be the best not, course in the world.
0: It's not market. You know, its market is not Australia, is it, Clayton? It's market is the rest of the world and other golf courses yeah, yeah, in its class, yeah. and it's perfectly reasonable for it. It's much better value, I think, than Pebble Beach at what eleven hundred US minimum, if you yeah, want to yeah, guarantee
2: it. Yeah. Royal you know, Melbourne for. A bucket list trip for a foreigner is, you know, $800, Australian dollars, is about the mark, really, For for, and and it's better than arguably all the courses it's competing with, Yeah. but the green fees over here just absolutely stagger me that people routinely pay 250, 300 pounds for a game of golf. It just beggars belief that that's that's what it costs to play golf now, but that's what the market is, and then the market's essentially over here, you know, hugely supported by American golfers who just, you know, it's a bucket list trip and they come over and play Belly Bunyan and Royal County Down and Salingdale and Swindley Swindle Forest and Ball Woodley and, you know, Muirfield and the Old Course and all, all the all the great golf over here and they just pay. so bit like the
0: Ryder Cup for the European Tour Clates. You know, this, this one month or two months of the year when the Open's on, the money that pours into the golf industry in the UK supports the golf industry very much
2: for the rest of the year, I would think. Well, wow, the – Certain clubs fi- the, the rumored profit <laughs> figure for this week at the open is north of 200 million, Pound, million the pounds yeah 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 which is a, in fact somewhere north of that which is this I mean it funds everything for them you know it funds the Asian the Asian amateur at Royal Melbourne later in the year and yep. all the money they spend on golf and but it's a staggering amount of money in fact if you're a player you would be saying we're well, only we're getting less than 10 percent of that for the prize money
0: you're also doing less than 10% of the advocacy work that the RNA does worldwide every other day of the year, too. So let's just back off on how much you think you deserve yeah. at the pie. Thank you very much. And, and,
2: you, and you blokes are bitching about the ball rolling back. So if you yeah. don't shut up about that, well, we might cut the prize money for you next year. And of course, which which leads us beautifully into the segue of the most memorable shot so far yep. this year, two of them, surprise, was a two iron into a par four yep. by Roy McClellan the Open. And, you know, I mean, compare that with the 500-yard-plus driver seven-iron affair we saw at the last hole at the LA Country Cup for the US Open. I mean, that was the greatest shot of the year. It was a two-iron into a par four. I mean, in fairness, it's a par five for the members. But, you know, of all, of all the memorable shots that have been hit this year, the great one was Roy's two-iron into a par four. And, you know, like, is this bad for the game that we're seeing? And, and it... It doesn't prove my point, but it, I think it or, – or a point made by many that the more difficult you make the game to play at the top level, the more of an advantage the best players have. Great. So, and, and Rory showed that last week. Give Rory McIlroy a two-iron, took the flag out. One of the great shots of the year. Pro- probably the shot of the year.
0: Give him a persimmon driver, and he doesn't, doesn't go too how much,
2: badly either, clothes. <laughs> how, much, how much more interesting was that than watching blokes it wages into 90% of the holes they play? Jimmy.
0: Yes. You look. You look like you're aching to say something there. You've tried to get in on clothes a couple of times, I felt. But
1: yes, no, no. that was uh, the the two one from Rory as well. That it bested a three wood from Bob McIntyre. Like that that that's how the dueling was, and there were only two of three guys to make birdies. That was absolutely thrilling. So, um, but on that on that road trip kind of thing into the Open as well, you can tell it's special when players do it themselves as well. Uh So. Colin Morikawa skipped the Scottish Open. He went and played Walton Heath last week. Uh, Hayden Barron and Travis Smythe drove up and played Southport and Ainsdale and Royal Lytham. There's just all these guys knocking around. Minwoo went and played the Wii course at North Berwick. I think okay. there was – someone did a list. I think it was about 13 players went and played North Berwick last week while they were in town for the Scottish Open
2: as well. Yeah. So, yeah well, not North Berwick, it, it's it was a probably a hidden gem 50 years ago, but – yeah, yeah, it's the it's the cult course that everyone has to play now because it's such a yeah such a cool so it's such a cool place to play golf and of course with I mean, North Berry would probably be a pretty prosperous town anyway but the you know the the money that golf course brings into that town must be incredible yeah
0: indeed yeah, now, you absolutely would, you would like this quote so I follow a guy called Ricky Bush on Twitter I don't know whether you do as well but last week he just pointed at it yeah. I thought I in a beautifully succinct tweet he said you know uh, the Scottish Open's at Renaissance, and all I've seen is players with pictures from North Berwick. If the Open was at North, the Scottish Open was at North Berwick, I wonder how many pictures we'd be seeing from Renaissance Club. <laughs> sort of tells you everything you need to know in that sense, doesn't it? Of just sort of- well,
2: Renaissance is, a, in is a pretty good golf course. I, I couldn't agree more. I wasn't suggesting yeah, it. Mean, anyway I mean, yeah, I mean, people course. bang on about it. You know, oh, it's this and it's that. We were talking about it tonight. And I said, well, yeah, you know, may, maybe it's, you know, it's a, it's a way better than average golf course, way better.
0: And much improved uh, from the yeah, first version yeah. we
2: saw, too, isn't it? And, and these guys were sort of slagging it off a bit. And I said, Well, in, in tour terms, it's a fabulous golf course. Mm. You know, they were mm. playing the BMW at Nord ride three weeks ago. I mean, give me a break. And you know, that course in Denmark's not that flash, and the John Deere's not exactly the greatest course in America. And so, you know, Renaissance gets a bad rap because it's in, it's in a brutally difficult neighborhood right next to Muirfield, but, you know, one of the best. 10 golf courses in the world. But, you know, it's a terrific golf course,
0: I think. Yeah, and it's a, but it also suffers from it. It's built by a bunch of rich people recently. Yeah. So it's got a couple yeah. of things against it for the for those who think that those things are really important. It's a much improved golf course on the first version we saw a few years ago. It? There's been a bunch of trees taken out and holes improved. And I agree. I think it's a good golf course. Not an amazing golf yeah. course, but it's a good golf course for yeah, sure. it's
1: very much It's very much fit for purpose. Mm. It does a great job of hosting the event. Exactly.
0: So, Is there yeah. another golf course in the region where Rory might have hit a two iron into a par four? No matter how strong the wind was, I can't.
2: Think. Yeah, yeah. And you so, so, play yeah. North Berwick and they shoot thirty-five under par around there. Yeah. It's yeah, really a lot right. of fun,
0: but but <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, indeed. Uh, just talk a bit about that, close because what you've touched on there is somewhat his culture, which I think is that whole pilgrimage thing. Uh, I think it was uh, who was the who's the Golf Club Atlas guy we spoke to, Clates? What's his name? Rand
2: Morrison, Not ran Morrison Ran Morrison. Yeah,
0: yeah. Talked about this time of year, lots of people from America, and it's probably true for a lot of Australians too, they go over for their pilgrimage to the Open and they have this extraordinary discovery, this awakening, this golf like they've never seen it before. And it is confronting for those, you know, if you grew up in Sydney and then you land in the UK and you go to your first Lynx course, it's like, wow, this doesn't look anything like golf. And they all embrace it. And by the end of the month, everybody loves Lynx golf and walking and everything that's fantastic. And then on the way home, they have a lobotomy, and when they get back to their own club, they want more cart girls, more cart paths, greener grass, yeah. and wider bunkers. Yeah. What's that about?
2: Yeah. My job was in Fort Worth with Sue o. I mean, we played in a golf cart. I mean, I hate golf carts, but I mean, that's a that's a horrific climate. I mean, it's of course, yeah, that's all. Yeah, you know, the, there is no one at the golf club. Where, where is everyone? They're all in Colorado. So, because it's, you know, it's, it's too hot. Is a, and you know, I mean, the, America's having horrendous weather, isn't it? It seems like. What does Scottsdale have 10 days in a row, over 110 or something, or 20 days yeah, in a row, right. something ridiculous. But, um, yeah, they come over here and embrace the, the quirkiness of the Scottish game and then go back home and come play their perfectly manicured golf courses and jump in the golf carts, And which is a massive generalisation. That, that's course, not what's happening at you know, a lot of Cypress Point or the great courses in America or, or, or abandoned dunes where there are no golf carts, public golf and – yeah. But, the, but the golf over here is terrific. And it's the good thing about, you know, I use it, there are fairways, there are perfect fairways and fairways that are perfect for golf. And Metro, where I'm a member, Metropolitan Melbourne, have perfect fairways. Mm-hmm. But you go to Spay Bay or Southern S or, or Woodley and they're, the fairways, are they're not perfect in the sense Metro's fairways are carpet-like, but they're perfect for golf. Mm-hmm. Of course, they've got – you're playing on fescue, which is – That's right. It's the right grass. Cash, well, what's well, cashmere compared with Lambsville, really. So it's – Yeah. yeah. For
0: um, people who haven't been to the UK, well, if you've been to Barn Boogle, that's what Clayton's talking about. You get that down there, yeah. actually. The lies are perfect for golf. They're not perfect – it's not perfect fairways, but they're perfect yeah. for golf.
2: You're exactly and, right. And, and, and perfect fairways are not – you know, I don't think it's necessarily a good thing that every lie I've had for the last 35 years has been literally – exactly the same mm. at Metro.
0: There are people out there who want to throttle you for that claim.
2: <laughs> they will, but, you know. <laughs> I can't they, imagine I'm anything per- better. I'm perfectly happy to have a very, um, you know, um, friendly argument about we'll come to Britain and see that these fairways, which no one would class as perfect, but they're perfect for golf. Mm. Beautiful to play off, fescue, ball bounces. You know, there's some variety in the lies that there are quirky stances and
1: it, 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 it's
2: amazing golf over here. I'm a, Huge fan of, well, in, well, no, I'm trying to think where we are. Yeah, we're in England. So I've been everywhere. Um, I'm a huge, fan, I'm a huge fan of English golf. English golf is, you know, the, the the tourists tend to head to Ireland and Scotland, and and they miss the best of England, which is, which has got the great variety. There is no golf in the in the middle of, apart from Glen Eagles probably, in the middle of Scotland or the middle of Ireland. That's any good at all. Mm. It's all around the edges, but England's got golf around the edges and through the middle.
0: There's accessibility issues though, isn't there, in England?
2: More no, so than you no, find in Scotland. No, uh, not at all. Can I just
0: go on? can I play Sunningdale, Walton Heath?
2: Well, you can if you pay, but but you can go to Ganton and all Woodley and Woodhall Spa and Woking and West Hill and you – know, I, Ash- I went to Piltdown and Royal Ashdown Forest last week, walked 36 holes in a day and did not see one bunker. So pilk down's a very good course. Royal Ashdown Forest is fantastic. The the terms of the lease, were, I think, were that you couldn't build anything. You you could lay the greens out, but you couldn't build man-made hazards. So there are no bunkers, but you don't notice it because it uses the heath and the the stream and and, and the ground and it uses it so well that you don't even notice there are no bunkers really. Amazing golf course. And you can go and play there for, you could play a week at Royal Ashdown Forest and get in the plane and go back home and it's not going to cost you that much. And it's brilliant golf. It's incredible. So, so there are lots and lots of golf courses that don't cost £300 that, you know, that offer a massive variety of brilliant golf over here. I mean, Woking's, Woking's fantastic home of golf course architecture, is it not working? The, the
0: fairway bunker on the well, fourth hole, is that right, where it was on kind of hole, born, Tom, The
2: idea of... Bunker on the fourth hole, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Boom, yeah boom, right, in the, right, of... right in the middle of the fairway. Yeah, Surprise, but... surprise. You can, you can make golf interesting by putting a bunker in the middle of the fairway instead of just <laughs> sticking start... it all around the sides and asking people to hit through the middle. <laughs> Don't start that again.
1: <laughs> I, I, I did like, Clay, when someone posted a picture of Augusta, I think it was that, uh, was it eight with the bunker the in the middle of the fairway? And yeah, they the said who put who, yeah. who put that there, and you said who took it out? Oh, it was,
2: oh very good. <laughs> yeah. That's classic, yeah.
1: Clates. That's peak Clates right there. That that was outstanding.
0: Uh, that's yeah. A, yeah
2: that, a, that's on the cover of a and Sports 50, Illustrated mid 50s Sports Illustrated magazine with Hogan on the cover. Yeah. yeah.
0: Did they have the photo up around the green with the mounds? That uh, what's his name <laughs> around the oh,
2: green, Those the horrendous, drop horrendous yeah. Yeah, s- yeah, those yeah, chocolate was, drops. Boy, boy what a what a crime that was! <laughs>
0: Yeah, Michael Wolff posts that every year, and every year it's just as confronting as the year before. Yeah, it's just it's just <laughs> horribly horribly Still horrific. Can't believe he did you
2: it. Yeah, if Alice McKenzie had come back and seen that, he'd <laughs> taken <laughs> his name be, off he, the golf course. He'd, he'd
1: have died again.
2: Yeah, <laughs> quite well, possibly. Yeah, yeah.
1: Clates,
0: you've spent lots of time in that part of the world, and clearly you love the golf there and it's understandable, as as do either one time I went, I thought it was amazing. But what often happens with these kinds of things, you go away for a long time and you've been away for a while, there's stuff you forget and when you come back you remember it. What are some of the things about UK golf that you sort of forget in between trips? Probably not so much about the golf courses, because I know that that's always sort of front of mind for you. But the game and the culture around it, and I think particularly of Scotland and Ireland more so than England, I might be wrong about that, but it's just a perception I had when England just felt – less open most of the courses there to what we encountered in Scotland and Ireland back in 1997 when we were there. But what are some of the things that we forget? And I'm thinking particularly about, and I think of Scotland where the courses are so often close to the centre of town and they're just part of the community, unlike what we have here where golf courses are over there with fences around them. Some of those things and the importance of that.
2: Well, there's this right to roam in Scotland where anyone can walk on a golf course. So people walk on golf courses and – especially in scotland the course and the old course is the epitome it starts in the town and it plays out to the far point and turns around and comes back into the town north berwick same thing there are so many courses that do that so the golf is part of the town as jeff ogilvy said if you, you know if you're walking the pub in north berwick everyone knows that the 13th hole has been a tough hole because it winds into off the left everyone just knows that because that's you know so you know, the, the, the golf is a huge part of the town. Carnoustie, all these places. The, the, the railway lines came through. You know, so golf got built where the railway lines were. Yep. So people would, before cars, people would take the train and they would they would train it up to wherever they were going and they would play golf. And, and it, it's, you know, it's, it's cheap in terms of membership fees. Green fees are expensive, but there's there's lots of it. It's, you know, the clubhouses are, um They're not wealthy places. Golf clubs over here. No, some of them are, Mm, of course. But you know, there are a lot that. I mean, Fraserburgh might be. You know, it's you could play two years membership fees at Fraserburgh for the price of a game at Tairiti in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. So it's you know it's it's cheap and it's and it's part of the community and it's. I mean, you you kind of you you could fall into the trap of thinking everyone in Scotland plays golf, which they don't. But no, of course they don't. You know, it's it's a it's a big community game, and, and it's people. People know about it and love it, and the courses are old and they're great.
0: Is there and, less animosity, do you think, in Scotland towards golf from non-golfers than what it often feels like we have here in Australia? Maybe I'm just over sensitive to it, but there feels like a lot of animosity towards golf and particularly public golf. As
2: probably, yeah. I mean, I I don't know if you listened to the Age having a podcast. Please explain. I think. It was a ludicrous podcast last week about these one golfer and two non-golfers talking about golf courses and the, the land they take up. And it was some ridiculous throwaway line. Like, you know, a golf course, you know, there might be six old blokes playing during, you know, during the day. Six old blokes out there playing golf during the day. Like, there is not one golf course in Melbourne that has less than 100 rounds a day, I wouldn't have thought. Mm. Golf courses are so busy. So, you know, there, there was no nuance to the discussion about um. You know what are we what are we going to do with golf courses that aren't viable? You know, um, that want to move that, that have had uh, that if they get rezoning, they can sell up and move, and you can build houses on them. So people who hate golf all of a sudden love golf when it comes to cutting a tree down because they're hugely important in the in the, in the fight against global warming. So they hate golf and they want them turned into parks. Yeah, forgetting that, that they're privately owned pieces of land. So, you know, there's no sensible discussion about the role of golf and golf courses and what should we do with the ones that aren't viable. You know, and, and, you know, in fairness, bad golf courses with small memberships that don't, that don't make any money, well, why don't they sell them and put houses on them and either merge with another club and make that profitable because you, you, you're getting maybe $100 million for your land. Or you're just keeping a very bad golf course open that's got no future and it's bad golf and it's because it's the one business in in the community that if they're going broke and don't have any money can't sell their asset.
1: I think I think there is a similar problem over there. Michael McEwen from Bunkers written about it a couple of times where there's the same groups that don't like golf and there's the same journo's who work for newspapers who have no interest yeah. and have no understanding of what Clates is talking about who just attack it as an easy target. I think that's the regular thing is that they know they're going to get that support and just go, oh, yeah, yeah. not much else happening. I'll just have a go at golf again. Everyone hates those people. So oh, there's de- that's definitely a problem in Scotland yeah.
2: for sure. Yeah, that's true, golf's okay. an right easy target it. and people see it and go, well, yeah, it was the housing, sh- housing shortage. There are too many golf courses. They, they, they take up so much land. Let's just go and put houses on them but you know i guess if making the counter argument would be that golf in england and scotland's hugely important for tourism mm-hmm. you know it brings huge amounts of money in, in, into the local communities
0: tasmania too and,
2: and 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 towns with good golf courses are often mm. thriving economies so yeah. and you know in, in melbourne people forget that you know, they bitch about those sand belt and the sandbelt courses and the golf courses down on that road towards Frankston. Well, the, you know, they were the clubs 100 years ago who went, I mean, half of the membership at, at the Melbourne Golf Club in Caulfield stayed behind for five more years because Royal Melbourne was too far to go. Too far away, yeah. So yeah. so those clubs, well, they went miles out of the city and, and built some of the best golf courses in the world. And, and Melbourne's one of with Philadelphia, London, and New York, one of the four most significant cities in terms of great golf course architecture. Mm-hmm. But it was because intrepid men 100 years ago took a chance on golf in, in on, on cheap land that was miles out of the city. It was farmland. And, of course, now it's surrounded by suburbs and people. No, oh, we should take that golf course and put houses on it. Well, fine if you want to pay $100 million for the privately owned bit of land, you know, because that's what it's worth. If you don't want to pay that, then we'll keep it as a golf course. Yeah, and and the other thing they forget is that in certainly places like Royal Melbourne and Victoria, Kingston Heath Peninsula, they're the last great preserves. Yeah, in the city of indigenous suburban vegetation, yeah. because you know certainly in Melbourne's case, we did a horrendous job of planting that city out. If you'd come there in 1770 when it was indigenous. We, you know, the, the, the English came in, wanted to make it feel like home and bought in every weed known to man. So, so Tim Lowe, an, environment, an environmentalist, wrote a great book called Feral Future and he called Melbourne Australia's weediest city and defined a weed by anything that doesn't belong. And Melbourne's full of stuff that doesn't belong. But but Peninsula, which is the best example, the north course of the Peninsula doesn't have one piece of vegetation on that golf course. There was certainly not one tree on that golf course. It's not Indigenous. You know, it's a, it's a, it harks back to the way the land was before the golf course was built. And by in, Indigenous, and you, you don't
0: at, just mean Australian, which is what a lot of people no, think.
2: No, not native. native to, the, um, to the Not airport. native, Indigenous to the area. Yeah. And, and, you know, so so the, so the Europeans brought it. So the, the English brought in European trees, big mistake, and, and they brought in you know, rabbits' big mistake and foxes and all the other things they bought in that made a mess of the environment.
0: People haven't had a huge success either, you'd have to say, because they brought people to We haven't necessarily been the best thing, but I take your broader point,
2: yeah. And then they bought, and then my parents' generation, you know, realised, well, that was a mistake, but they fell down on this. Anything native was okay. Anything from Australia? Hmm. So yeah, so and Tim and Tim, L- and Tim Lowe makes the point in the book. He said, if Australia was a bunch of countries like Europe was, you wouldn't. If you're living in London, you wouldn't think something in Russia was native to England. But you know, because Australia's one country, we all of a sudden thought that bringing a you know the, the, the red flowering gum, the folio from Margaret River, and dumping it on, on, on golf courses in Melbourne was a good idea. Well. It's got as much relevance to Melbourne as a tree in London has to Moscow. It's the same distance away. Yeah. So native was also a mistake. So the larger point is that golf courses, which are being more responsibly managed now in terms of this stuff, is, you know, they're highlighting and supporting and replanting the indigenous vegetation, What the, what the land was like before Captain Cook got here, which is surely in principle the way we should be going. Golf courses
0: can and should be the very epicentre of preserving this stuff, shouldn't they? Royal Melbourne does a particularly fantastic job. Where they've got a native nursery there or an indigenous nursery, yeah. I think, where they protect a lot of the local species and they're open to people who have nothing to do with golf who come along and, uh, and use them. They have an open day, I think, every year, don't they, Clates? For-
2: they do. And people, people go there and go, wow, this place is amazing. Well, Yeah. Because the people who've managed that club for a hundred years have managed it properly and, and and responsibly. Yeah,
0: why why are we locked out? This would be a nice place to have a walk. Let's not go down. <laughs> let's not uh, let's not go down that road. In some ways, Jimmy, this is sort of partly our fault. That thing that our fault in the sense that media generally. One of the problems golf has is it's got its own media, so we do a lot of talking to each other. Nobody who's a non-golfer is going to listen to this and hear any of these points. So they're still going to think, Jimmy, which is the point that I wanted to bring up from Claudio people go, six old blokes play there during the day. There's a bunch of stereotyping in there that's so yeah. one, that there's nobody playing. Two, that the game is a game for old blokes. And I know I keep banging on about this and I can't find the answer I hope somebody can one day. How do we as golf tell a better story about who actually does play? I interviewed Brendan Lawler last night who won the first golfers, Golf yeah, for Disability yeah. Open. Uh, yeah. terrific, terrific young bloke from Ireland with a, you know, with a, with a disability of his own and we talked about this. How do we tell those stories? That win didn't get anywhere near the attention that this week's win is going to get or even last week at the Scottish Open. But isn't that the fundamental problem is this image that the game has outside the game that we just cannot seem to
1: overcome? Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. That, But that's that falls to us to try and tell the story to non-golfers, sure. But people who aren't golfers aren't going to a website called golfaustralia.com.au and people nice who plot. have these arguments are not interested in actually seeing that side of the argument. So, there there was a great example of, there I can't remember who it was, but there's a couple of people who wrote some articles in Australia about you know golf courses being taken back and all that sort of stuff. And Sandy Jamison made it his mission to tag those journalists mm-hmm. in everything he talked about with his All Abilities program, with his public golf crusade, with all of this sort of stuff, and saying, come down, check it out, and I will talk to you about it they got no interest. They never applied. They never did anything like that. So that's it is our responsibility to try and do it, but it it probably needs to be people who work outside of golf specific media but do do work in golf. But getting them to take a stand in you know their newspaper or anything and getting a sports editor or even just a general editor of a newspaper to take interest in the defense of golf is going to be a hard sell. So um, I think it falls more not necessarily to golf media, but to golfers. Golfers are the greatest profits of golf. To so yeah, you wanna you want you want if you introduce your friends and family to golf, you're gonna grow golf and all that sort of stuff. But if you're someone who's a member of Royal Melbourne and you're a You know, highly respected person in your field. There's probably someone in your field who doesn't like golf and has that opinion. Who's also an intelligent person, all that sort of stuff. They're the ones who have to have that conversation, I think, and and win them over with that argument because they're having the direct conversation. Because we're like we're discussing these stories aren't going to go away anytime soon. Um, I think. Uh, Australian golf has made a, a good move by counting anyone who engages in golf as golfers because they are. So, people who use golf facilities are golfers and that then we can show how many we've got. So, a, a golf in Australia becomes one of the biggest participation sports in the country, which it is. It always has been. Uh, yeah, it always has been. That's right. But how we've counted, I mean, we used to count golfers by members. Members, yeah. I'm, I'm not currently the, a member of a golf club. I've been working golf my entire adult life. I spend every day of my life involved in golf. I'm not currently a member of a club. Would you want to be a member so, of any club
0: that would have you, as Groucho and Mark said? Of course you wouldn't.
1: No, but <laughs> but the, in, in years gone bar, past, I wouldn't have been counted as a golfer. So we've got to work out who the golfers are and then spread that message. And there is so many more than the six old blokes that, you know, classic sort of thing. I, I went out uh, to do a club fitting with Tideless, the new golf clubs, on Monday at Park Driving Range in Sydney. Three levels, driving range was full. You had to wait to get a bay. The guys next to me were not six old blokes. They were two young guys, two tradies, on their lunch break hitting some golf balls. They were hopeless. Col- they have collars on their shirts?
0: No, they we're, had we're, They weren't wearing black socks with their, socks with their shoes, were they?
1: exactly and they they they're engaged in golf they've come and just they were they were awful barely hit the club face hit the side barrier more than they hit the driving range but they're not six old blokes and they're using a golf facility during the day the golf course had this churn it was school holidays so there was just constant kids moving through and playing on the golf course and there was just the regular golfers so um you know i think governing bodies have a responsibility to talk about who the golfers are and and how many people are using it, but also that other benefit, um, you know, that it's really is – it's very important, the stuff we're talking about with, you know, you know, vegetation and all that sort of stuff. But it is a very niche part of the argument that probably you go back to some of the biggest critics of golf. They're not actually interested in that. They're just interested in, oh, it's a, it's a big green space and it's an easy target. And it's, it's, a lot of the time it's grandstanding too,
0: yeah. which is – a lot of the time and you know this feeling Jimmy a lot of the time it's i got a column Jimmy and i haven't got an idea hang on a minute absolutely it? it is let's go golf it's not hard and people will read it and people will
1: uh, absolutely it is because if you're if you tend to find your audience in a certain demographic or a certain levels of interest and You know that golf is not one of those. That's an easy one. And it'll also rile up the golfers. So I can guarantee you more golfers are going to read your column when you say golf's terrible. Get rid of golf.
0: Doesn't matter if 50% hate it and 50% love it. As long as 100% read it, then you've had a Exactly right. Clates, we're the six old blokes. We're part of the six old blokes. What's wrong with us playing golf? This is the other part of that argument that always annoys me. Golf is and can be an amazing recreation, pursuit, mm-hmm. interest, and lifestyle for people of a certain age who don't really have much else in the way of activity necessarily. What's yeah, wrong with that? Why don't we promote that? Well, it's
2: a great—you know, you're walking, you're out in the open, you're with friends. It's Alistair Mackenzie, the famous quote about. It was a doctor. He said, "I gave up." He said, "People would come into my surgery. I told you. Know, I told them to go and play golf. I never saw them again."
0: Prescribe golf. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So it's. Um, and golf does it – I mean, everyone plays golf. I mean, Michael Jordan plays golf. Niall Horan plays golf. That you know, He's got 40 million Twitter followers. I mean, he's a, he's a massive golf fan. I and mean, Jack Leroy act- plays golf and the tennis players play golf. I mean, everyone plays golf. The actors play golf. Musicians that play golf. That actress
0: hold a bunker shot in that celebrity thing at Liverpool the other day? Who's she? Jimmy, you're a younger person. Was it Catherine Newton? Uh, Is that her name? Catherine Newton or something, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Hold a bunker so, shot. It was fabulous. you know, golf doesn't do – great job of, of no. telling the story of people in, you know, huge, mega stars in their fields in, mm. you know, music and movies and um, sport and other sports and whatever uh, play golf because golf such a, it's an amazing game to play. It, it, if you like it, it's a great game. If you hate it, it's hor- probably horrible, but it's such a cool game to play and you meet some interesting people, you it's the best game to travel with. Oh, without because, doubt. Without doubt. That, that and surf. You know, the, the highlight is going to the courses. So, there's such a massive variety of golf courses. And so, it is what, and it's always going to be a popular game. And there are always going to be people who hate golf because they can't, they don't understand it. You know, it's like my perception of polo, which I just assume it's a bunch of toffee people, watching people ride around on horses.
0: Yeah, I'm on board with that.
2: Well, yeah, that's probably not particularly accurate, but I mean, golf's a much more egalitarian game than polo ever ever was or will be. Yeah.
0: What about motor racing? Let's not go there. (laughs) I'm not on board with motor racing as a sport there's some guys who do a motorbike racing podcast here I can see they describe that as the last of the gladiatorial sports and racing motorbikes might actually be when you watch what those guys do and every time they put on a helmet they risk death yes it's not my kind of thing but you can see why it would appeal to some people but Driving cars around a track has never sort of struck me, as. Yeah, Yeah.
2: You know, I mean, there's another one. I played golf last year with Casey Stoner, who's like a golf nut. I love him.
1: He's obsessed. I just story with him. He's Is absolutely yeah. obsessed.
0: Yeah. And yet the guys who do this Moto PG, they can't get him to talk to them about motorbikes. They got, he's got no interest in talking about motorbikes But yeah. you ring up from a yeah. golf magazine and he can't pick up the yeah. phone quick enough. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, terrific stuff. Just before we come back to the open close, I do want to get some thoughts from you about the course and what we might see unfold this week. You mentioned the distance thing and Rory hitting the two-iron and all that sort of stuff, and we've talked about that, not endlessly, but plenty. It kind of went under the radar, but Adam Scott had some interesting things to say, I thought, on two fronts. On, on What podcast did he go on, Jimmy. You see the uh, snippet? It was somebody's podcast.
1: Yeah. Can't which correct one question. It. Uh, not, two, not whoever sure. it was.
0: Yeah, I can't remember. I don't think it was Barstool. It was one of the might have been no laying up, was it, with Solly?
1: No, it wasn't no laying up, no. Anyway.
0: Uh, and he said two things about distance, I thought, Clates, that were interesting. One was a bit of a throwaway line. So he said the the club that's changed the most, the driver, used to be the hardest to hit. Now it's the easiest, and it's the go to club for guys and nerves. I think you'd agree with that. I think that makes some sense.
2: But the line that it, sorry. The the, the driver wasn't, it wasn't that hard to hit. You know, it was yet to be skillful, but it wasn't like it was a, it wasn't like you were playing with hickory. It wasn't that hard a club to hit. I mean, you know, was it harder than the others? Was it the hardest to hit? Well, it wasn't hard. It wasn't as hard as a one iron or two iron. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, I mean, perhaps it was, I mean, it it just wasn't that hard to hit. I mean, it was hard to hit it out of the middle, but you consistently, I mean, well, you know, I mean, every shot, but you, you'd neck it and toe it and it in the plate and you might skip behind the face. But I mean, it wasn't like it was, it, like I said, it wasn't like you were playing with a hickory club. I mean, the, mm. you know, I mean, no one thought the driver was difficult to hit in 1985. No. You just played with it. This is you had. And, you know, you, you had some shots that were better than others. But I mean, Graham Marsh hit it out of the middle of the club every single time he hit it, pretty much. It wasn't, it wasn't too hard for Marshy to. Hit. It was it was hard to do what Greg did. Yes, which was hit it a, a long way, but it wasn't. Yeah, you know, I mean, you, you, people talk about it like it was. Yeah, you know, it was almost impossible. Unbelievable. It wasn't that hard to hit a driver.
0: No, the more interesting comment I thought was the throwaway line.
2: I don't know what the.
0: I'd love to hear Adam talk more. He said, "Oh, the ball's the ball. It's the driver that's changed the game." Which has struck me clearly as, not.
2: That was I mean that's not, I don't factually I don't think that's right. I mean I you, know, you look at the driving distance pre pro V versus the pro V. I mean everyone who picked up that ball said this thing goes twenty yards further and the driving distance jumped by twenty yards and it's like, well, clearly the ball's got a massive you know role to plan the distance debate. Because if it's not the ball, then go back and play with the ball well, go back and play with the ballada ball because it spins more around the greens that you know it was better to chip with. So no one you know no one's going back to a shorter ball. Because, you know, I'm, I'm, oh, yeah, I mean the stats don't bear that out. I don't think. No. Plus, it really. doesn't spin. You know, it spins way less than it used to. Hmm.
0: Well, that's the thing. the in terms of technology. You know. It's the, the the combination of the track man.
1: It's the combination. All it's combination of yeah. ball and club. Uh, you can't you can't have you can't have one being at fault in where we're at with <laughs> golf ball and driver because the golf ball going straighter and further meant they could push the driver technology further to make it more forgiving make it go further and and reduce spin rates and then bringing in launch monitors where you, every single player can be optimized and you can know exactly what spin rates are and launch monitor descent angles all that sort of stuff there's not there's not one to blame more of uh, maybe one more than the other but it's not you can't you know can't it's fix evolved the driver together. Suddenly, no, it's evolved yeah.
0: together, hasn't it? Is the point? I wonder, yeah. Clates, if that optimization had been available in the eighties, would we have seen jumps in driving distance with the old equipment? Do you reckon? If Greg Norman had had access to a TrackMan and force plates and spin rates and all the rest of it that we see in this day and age, but with that equipment at the time, I wonder how how much further he might have hit it.
2: Well, the, well, there was only a steel shaft. You just had an X one hundred or or an x four hundred shaft. So, so a steel shaft was a steel shaft essentially. Um, you know, you you, you searched around for a head you liked that felt good, and what was Rory's spin weight spin rate with a modern ball off that Persimmon driver last week? Was it four thousand or something? Forty four thousand right. something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm sure that club wasn't optimized for him, but he's not going to pick up that much. He you flew at two hundred and sixty five yards. Mm. Well, that's the game back in scale again. Yeah, you know, that's, that's reasonable. I mean, and that was probably about as far as. Greg flew it on average. I mean, in the mid-80s, he was averaging just under yeah. 290 yards. Yeah. So he was probably flying at 260, 270 and running it out the rest. Yeah. So, you know, it's just – I mean, you know, the, the distance debate is so stupid. The game is so out of scale. And, and, and the courses are so irrelevant in terms of how they play versus how the greatest minds in the game thought and wanted their courses to play. And – yeah, he's got to roll it back. and you know, Don't listen to a golf pro's opinion because it's it's bought and paid for by a titleist or tournament and mate. Rory and Tiger are the only two guys who are big enough to come out and say it, that we need to roll the ball back. And Rory's a rollback guy and Tiger's been banged on about it for years. Eddie
0: Pepper was but the rest, on a podcast. You know,
2: so Eddie Pepper's small enough to be
0: able to talk about it, Clay. So that's two, well, you know, there's three yeah, tiers yeah, of pros, yeah, isn't yeah. there?
2: Yeah. Well, well, I mean, titleists are either paying Eddie Pepper very little or not that much. So he can say what he, can say what he likes. But the guys who are getting paid, who are the who are the guys with opinions that the press want to talk to, well, why would you listen to them? Mm. Because they've got, as a as a, as a generalisation, no historical perspective and no architectural perspective, and they think they're the greatest generation of players ever, yeah. and they're really good. I mean, I watched Dustin Johnson play a few hours today. Man, he's really good. I mean, I haven't seen him play much before, but geez, he's a great player. It's fantastic, extraordinary, amazing. But, but natural ability. Yeah, you know, my view would be he, he would if the ball went 30 yards shorter and he was hitting more four, five, and six lines under the greens, he'd be even better mm. Didn't really than the guys change. he's playing against yeah, because exactly. he's such a great player.
0: Yeah, 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 couldn't agree. Something happens, doesn't it, Jimmy? And you've known lots of good amateurs who've turned professional. The game changes for those people, doesn't it? When it becomes your job you can't help but have a different view on it. Clates is one of the few probably that possibly hasn't happened to, but the things that you're interested in about the game become much more self-centred, if that makes sense, because you're trying to make yeah. a living out of it, and if it's going to affect the way you make a living, you're naturally quite defensive about it. And that plays a pretty big role in a lot of this stuff, I suspect, whereas, whereas if you took all of that out of it, I reckon the best players in the world would have more fun playing golf, Jimmy, if the game was a bit harder and a bit
1: more like it's yeah, but, a, it's a more if, interesting yeah, it, thing. If you're a professional golfer, for very few of them, is about having fun. Yeah. That's, that's the simple crux of it is it's become a business. And mm. you're right. I mean, guys turn pro, they no longer play golf for fun. Mm. This week with the Open and the lead up to it is one of the few weeks you see guys go and play golf on their off weeks because they want to go and check out these golf courses. And even a lot of them still won't. Um, and they get excited about flighting shots down and hitting different shots. But it's about having the lowest score for that week and trying to get the best check you can to then go on to the next week and keep it going and all that sort of stuff. I mean, that's that's the kind of crux of it is that once you turn into a professional golfer now who's playing for their living, very few of them would play golf by choice, you know, as a fun thing to do, um, which is a shame. It's not the way quite should be, but Quite sad in a lot of ways, isn't it? It is. It is. And you talk to guys and, and they lose that sort of – innocence of it so that's why and, and you can understand I mean if you're if you're Justin Thomas for example who's been quite vocal against rollback stuff I, I can understand that he spent his entire life trying to get as good as he can be with the equipment that is on offer and that he thinks is going to be there forever so he's gotten to that point so then if you're going to tear it down and you're going to change it up now it's probably not going to change as much as he thinks but I can understand that purpose of he's gotten to this point. He's worked so hard to get there. He doesn't want to then have to rebuild it. That's, that's what his whole life has been about is working on a golf, swing, working on a golf game to fall within the parameters of what golf currently is to be the best player he can currently be. Mm. Now, he is a player who would actually probably benefit from the uh, rollback of the golf ball, but his mentality is, I've I've worked this way to be as good as I can, and they use those track pants to be so finitely optimised to swing the club. I mean, Rory with that persimmon carried at two sixty five wouldn't take Rory more than ten swings to knock some of that spin rate off that persimmon driver and start hitting it a bit further. Um, so I I can understand where those guys come from, and I and I think that's the thing is, it's business for these guys, and that goes back to to Plates's point that Colin Burns said. They're playing less and they're playing for more money yep. that that's that's what these guys want which is not what you would think if someone was out there doing it for fun, really. Yeah, $4, four million bucks buys a lot of uh, soothing
0: if not having won a major or an open or a, <laughs> any of the other titles that might come along, doesn't it, I guess, if you if you win some of those tournaments. Uh, you would have seen that, I imagine, a million times, Clates in your career. You played all your life with touring professionals and the game's not a lot of fun for most of them, is it? it? It really is a business and I think it's been said plenty of times, if you put a check on offer, they'd play down the Malvern Highway.
2: Yeah, they would, yeah. Um, I mean, you can tell a little bit, by what the how much the guys play after they've finished playing. Like Finchie and I would play every day if we could. Yeah. Well, Finchie does play every day, doesn't he? But, oh, what, don't, don't you know, he be does. taking
0: shots at anybody at the amount of golf they play, thank you, Clates.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You're, in that, you're
0: I mean, in that half. Don't start dividing your half into other halves, my yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: But but I saw Tony Johnson the other day. You know, trivia player won the British PGA. You know, hasn't hit a shot in nine years. Yeah. Yeah, commentates on the game every week. Still loves enjoy. the game, but yeah. not no interest in playing. Yeah. Grades, do, Grades doesn't play golf at all. hasn't played for years. Yeah. Howard Clark hasn't played golf for years because they they don't enjoy how they play, so they, they don't want to play. Whereas for me, it's and for Finchie, it's much more about you know seeing cool courses and hitting shots and hitting the ball and being with your friends and yeah. You know. All the things that go, all the cool things that go with playing golf. All the things that non-golfers
0: don't understand, which has brought us neatly back to Clates this week. Have you had a chance to walk Royal Liverpool? How familiar are you with the course from prior, and uh, how these changes look to you? Lots of talk about the seventeenth hole.
2: Did you get out and have a look yeah. at that? I played. I played it last year. Uh, which was, so I've, and I played the course in 1991 and I've played it a few times since. I was at the Open in 2006. Every time I come here, it's different. They, they, they've changed the holes. They've they've changed the order of the holes. The first two holes this week, are the last two holes on the, on the, the course the members play, so the regular first holes, the third hole this week. They finished on the 16th. So built this part three that's kind of controversial, it's um it's a version of the seventh at Bamboo with some differences it's degrees the green is above the t so you don't really see the much of the surface of the green if anything all the bamboo goes down so you can see mm-hmm. you can see all the surface of the green there's a bunker halfway down the hill on the right this week which you don't want to be in because you you know it's a narrow green small green you've got a pitch it up out of this bunker that if you don't get to the green, it's going to run back in the bunker. The seventh of Bamboogle has, it's open on the right. So you can miss the ball on the right and you can put it up onto the green. And because there's not much room over the back of the green before you hit the the wetlands and the boundary of the golf course, there's a big kind of sandy, wasty thing at the back to stop the ball running down there. So you there's a potential to be horribly dead over the back of the green. You go over the back of the 7th at Barnboogle, you run down. It's a tough shot back, but you can get it back on the green. You're on grass. You can play it. So so it's a similar-ish hole to the 7th at Barnboogle, but probably more potential for a train wreck. The worst thing about the hole for me is that there's a very short walk from what is the 16th green this week onto the 18th tee. But like you play this par three and you walk up 130 yards then you walk back almost past the 17th tee to get to the 18th tee. In fact, you walk past the 17th tee to get to the 18th tee. Mm. So it's a really awkward transition. It doesn't – it feels really odd. The whole Without- way the other way it would you – know, anyway, it, it's kind of – it is what it is. It is what it is. You know, like. And it is. And it's and – it's, if it's windy, it's going to be difficult.
0: Yeah, especially if it's downwind. Huggy told us yesterday on the plane from the Tips podcast that if it's downwind, it'll be might be almost unplayable. Just about, yeah. which is true of Seven of burgle as well. H-
2: Huggy and Mike Deree and I are out there watching play there for an hour or two in the rain this afternoon. Um, it's, I made the point to Huggy there, are, as a this is, won't be entirely be true, but there are two sorts of par threes. There are the par threes where, depending on where the pin is cut you'll play a completely different shot. So think nine at the Lakes, um, 16th East at Royal Melbourne, 11 at Yarra Yarra, Um, you know, the holes with big greens where Mm -hmm. you're going to play a different shot into the green depending on where the pin is. And there are lots of great par threes like that. There are also other great par threes where if you didn't have a pin in the green, it wouldn't make any difference to the shot you hit. Seventh at Bamboogle, mm-hmm. the seventeenth at Woodlands, um, you know, the, probably the sixth even at New South Wales. Yep, the, certainly the eighth. That the the seventeenth at Royal Queensland, or the twelfth at Lake up If there wasn't a pin in the green, if there was no pin in the green, it would make no difference to the shot you hit. You would just play the same shot because that's the shot. You just hit it into the green. Apart from that, this is one of those holes. This is. They could play the hole this week and not put a pin in the green and it wouldn't make any difference to how the hole played. Because all you're doing is trying to get on the middle of the green and part from there. Apart from there. No, you know, yeah. if you you know, if you go back to a back pin and you go off the back, no good. If you go to a front pin and come up three feet short, you're the slope, you run back in the bunker, no good. You know, if the pin's hanging out on the right of the green, you go for that and you miss it by six foot down in the bunker on the no good. So it's just middle of the green play it. There's a so, circle so in the so centre
0: of the green and that's where you're going to hit it no matter where the flag is and then you putt from there and go to the next.
2: Yeah. So it's a really good example of a hole that if they didn't put a pin in the green it would not change the shot you hit one iota. Interesting analysis.
0: I never thought about par threes that way, Clates, but that's a really interesting way to think okay. about it. Was there another solution? Could you see some other way they could have done it to achieve what they were trying to achieve? Because the old 15th hole was the most. I
2: don't achieved. know what they were trying to achieve. The story I've heard is that they wanted a hole that would decide the Open, which I think is a – if that was the brief, that's a bad brief. That's a stupid idea, a hole yeah. to decide a 72-hole tournament. Yeah. So. so, you know, why do you want that? To, you know, so, and,
0: and the old 15th yeah. did in 2014 anyway because it's where Sergio, I think he had two in the bunker, didn't he? And his his Open chance died right there in 2014.
2: Yeah. I mean, fairness, it wasn't a great hole, the other hole, but um, – Is this? Well, you know – I don't like it because the routing is so awkward. The transition from the sixteenth green to the eighteenth tee via the seventh hole is so awkward and so clumsy that you wonder if there wasn't a better way to do it. Mm. Anyway, it is what it is. It's um,
0: it's well, it's know. certainly been a talking point so far. I'm looking forward to seeing how it unfolds. If
2: it, if yeah. it gets windy, it's yeah. I mean, it's a huge grandstand behind the tee. There's a huge grandstand around the green. It's you know something might happen there on Sunday that decides the championship. It might not.
0: Same could but, be said uh, of 18, couldn't it? It's on my carbon OB on 18. The OB is what? not far from the no, edge of the fairway, is it? A few feet. You no, know, it's a couple well, of, uh, couple it, of it, yards.
2: It, it's, it's 25 feet closer than it used to be because I think if they'd left it where it was where they were building the corporate tents, which is my, which we'll get to our next point, you were going to have line of sight from the fairway. So I was talking to a, um, I think he was the ex-manager at hoy lake tonight and you know one of the great things about these courses when there are no torments on as you can see across the whole golf course there are beautiful views long views across the course and if you're playing that at night and and, 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 you know the, the sun's you know the shadows are perfect it's an amazing experience but this is a massive corporate build out there's just massive stands and corporate boxes everywhere so you lose the sense of the beauty of the golf course because you're looking at these industrial sized buildings everywhere you know it's a it's a weird feeling really but you know it's a hugely profitable event and a big part of making profits is selling corporate entertainment and selling all the things they need for sponsors that you know they want their pound of flesh so that's what it is so the, the you lose the charm of the golf course because it's built out so hugely now. I mean, compared with in the years when we were playing the Open 30 years ago, it's wildly different.
0: Crowds are bigger, and, aren't they, clotes Are much bigger? Does it need to be this way because the crowds are much bigger? The event's certainly much
2: bigger than it was. No, it's moment. not the crowds. It's not the crowds. It's the corporate stuff. And, and yeah, it's and the corporate, now. yeah. Yeah, it's the corporate stuff and, and, and the entertainment and, and the – you know, it's a massive corporate buildout, and I mean, and the R and A, you know, they, they this is their week where they make all their money and they yeah. spend it on golf and they do their thing, and it's a cool organization. But wow, it's a it's a. I was at Wimbledon with Elvis a couple of weeks ago. I mean, I, I hadn't been to Wimbledon since the mid '90s. I was staggered at how much that place has changed. I mean, that's a that's the same thing. It's just a massive, massive corporate deal. You know. Two courts undercover now, which you've got to have in the age of mm-hmm. TV because you've got to cool. put the show on. Yeah, that's right. You can't just have people sitting around twiddling their thumbs because it's raining. But, you know, Wimbledon's, you know, that that's August of the Open. There's a huge, huge sporting event now that must generate hundreds of millions of dollars, so staggering amounts of money.
1: And so, and I think the Open's a different version because it moves around, so they yeah, can't right. build permanent structures like at Wimbledon, uh, like but, at Augusta. Yeah, that's
2: a good point. Yeah, that's exactly like, right.
1: Yeah. Your press building in Augusta is off the or off off the old property, but it's a permanent structure, and so there's permanent roads to get carts in and out, whereas the Open, you go into a new place every year and you've got to find somewhere to put a press building, and there's more press than there is any other week of the year, and, you know, that's difficult.
2: But there's the difference between Wimbledon and the Open. We went to Wimbledon. Liz Smiley got me into the, the press compound because she's working for the BBC. So you go to the press tent and we... Paid our six dollars, six pounds 95 for a sandwich. Come to the open, 30 pounds a day. There's your pass for your food. So, Wimbledon, they charge you for food. The British Open, they give you 30 pounds a day. So that's why, golf, that's
0: why golf's a better game than tennis, right? <laughs> that's why it's a better game than tennis. That's right. It's funny though, isn't it, Clayton? For, for everything you gain, when, when sport becomes business, for everything you gain, you give up something, don't you? So for all the money you gain from the corporates, you give up some of those yep. things you were just talking about and some yep. of the feel. And, so, some of, and they're always the intangibles that you give up. It's the difference between the modern driver and the old driver. You, you pick up an old driver and you can feel that somebody's made that persimmon head, often by hand, you know, and it's a, it's a Totally different thing to picking up, a much more functional and pragmatic club. One that's come off a production line, but there's forty thousand others just like it. No
2: soul to them all. There's no soul Horrible. to
0: it. That's exactly right. Oh, so, yeah.
2: and, and, and there's no Andy Johnson articulated it well on the Shotgun Start podcast last week about you know the the sense of achievement of hitting a great shot off a persimmon club, hmm. which has completely gone off the wooden driver. Oh, sorry, off the modern driver. driver. Yeah, you, know, you just tee it up and you hit it, and yeah, oh, okay, fine. It's just you know it's. It goes back to Adam's point. W- whether the wooden driver was hard to hit or not, it's certainly way more difficult to hit than this thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and and the satisfaction levels are way less. Yeah, because it's just it's so easier to hit a decent shot with it. It's a you know, it's a frying pan. You know, it's yeah, it's So it's a.
0: There's, there's something much bigger. There's a bigger life thing about that, isn't there? For everything you gain, you give up something. You know, the more you chip away at that, it can be death by a thousand cuts, can't it? And then the joy's gone from it before you know it. You're better at it, but the joy's gone out of it because it's lost uh, some of that, uh, some of that romance and stuff. Uh, I think I'm just about done, Jimmy. Have you got anything else for Clates? We could always talk to Clates for hours, but we could switch topics from golf to something else. But
1: uh... no, not particularly. Actually, Clates asked Huggy yesterday. After all the opens you've been around, Mm. why why do you still get excited about the open each year? Yeah, what's wrong with you?
2: Uh, well, great courses mm-hmm. as a rule. Yep. And if you're Australian, you get to watch players you never see. You now, Brooks Kepka was playing a practice round with Dustin Johnson and Gary Woodland today. saw Gary Woodland hit the widest, biggest hook I've ever seen off the fifth I think it was the fifteenth hole. Just this thing went so high and so far left, it was no I've never seen a shot like it. It was like That's beyond what- belief. I left. It was staggering. Like, what is that?
1: That's what, so that's anyway, what Jason Cokrac Co- Jason calls that a fade. I can tell you, having watched him hit yeah. balls. <laughs> yeah, but
0: um, you, that's the shot you want to find in your bag on Tuesday of Open Week, isn't it, Clates? Yeah, oh, that's
2: I didn't right. Re- yeah. Didn't realise I had that
0: <laughs> in the bottom of the bag. Look forward to seeing that come out at some point this week.
2: But but we just don't get to see these guys, I and mean, we're never going to see them now because they make. Why would you come and play the Australian Open for what is it, two million dollars or whatever it is? That's
0: well, we've got live Adelaide Clates.
2: Uh, well, Yeah, well, that's right. But um, so you get a chance to watch great players in, speaking of Live Adelaide, you get a chance to watch great players in events that actually matter.
0: Yeah. yeah. On great courses. There's, yeah. there's a, you On know, we had courses, this, yeah. we had, we've had this discussion before, you know, about, uh, well, I think it was the Beth Page Black PGA, which was a fabulous finish with Tiger chasing and Kepka just, you know, um, just really knocking everyone out <laughs> just an amazing performance Adam Scott was all there and the golf was entertaining yeah. on a wasn't Beth Page Black what was it, it was a,
1: no you're, you're thinking of um, uh, starts with a B Bell Reeve
0: Bell Reeve I'm
1: thinking of yeah mm, and there well, was a yeah, lot okay. of discussion
0: not a great golf course but but when they're when it's the two together great players will always be, as Scott Adam said it after the the Olympics he said, well, of course it was good what'd you expect you the world's great players on a golf course, they're going to produce great golf. But put the world's great players on a great golf course, you get amazing golf. And that's the difference, I think. Yeah, yeah. So the, the players so, are always yeah, entertained. You can yeah. play at Mangrove Mountain with Brooks Koepka to be entertaining to watch. But mm. Brooks Kepka and those guys playing at Augusta or Royal Melbourne, much more entertaining than watching them at Mangrove Mountain. Far more interesting. Yeah.
2: And, and the Open is a big deal. It's you know, oh, a huge deal. Mm. But for Australians, you get to watch players you don't see anymore.
0: At dinner time, which is nice. It's That's a, right.
2: Which is pretty rare. Well, Last Off is – I was um, talking to Jeff Shack over tonight, Shack, but we are at a book thing. We had six authors speaking about their books, including Shack, Golf Architecture for Normal People. Great um, book, by the way. If you haven't read it's it, his, go and grab it. It's a great. really good read. He said the Last off's is 4.15 or 4.30 or yeah. something. Yeah, Yeah, 4.30, I think, yeah. Which is a horrible time because you've got to hang around all day, but mm-hmm. it can be the best draw because – by the time you get to the 17th hole at 9 o'clock at night, the wind's off and gone. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, that, that can be not a bad draw, that one.
0: Yeah. Who are you going to follow this week, Clates?
2: Um, I would love to watch Rory play a lot just to see what goes on there. Um
0: You caddied with him. I, you caddied for Ryan Ruffles in a practice I, round with
2: Rory, did you I mean, not? When you played with Rory, he did, yeah. Has was, he changed much since then? It was 06, wasn't it? Well, I know he hit it driving a driving us eight on to the seventh at Royal Sydney, which was kind of pretty beyond – it was beyond – and he hit it he hit 80 – he hit it, From memory, 80 yards off the 11th green at Royal Sydney. I couldn't believe how far he hit it. I mean, it was phenomenal.
0: We followed him with Jeff a few – 2013. It must have been you and I on a cold morning when yeah. it was drizzling and they played the 16th, the uphill par five there at Royal Sydney and Jeff hit a beautiful drive and a – Lovely three iron that only a touring pro could hit. That sort of pitched short and ran up on it. it a magnificent shot. Rory was twenty yards ahead of him off the tee. Hit a five iron that looked like a pitching wedge and hit the green. and just went splat. It's like, well, yeah. they're two different yeah. games. There's a world class golfer. There's Rory. Two different games yeah. completely. It was extraordinary yeah. to
2: watch. So, Rory's good. You know, I'll, I'll be doing some recruiting for the Sandbelt Invitational. Good work. We'll talk to talk to a few of the boys if we can get them to come and play.
0: Got the invites in your pocket, have you? A pocket full of info, it's like business cards, you just be handing them out. Yeah, they, no, out.
1: He, he just gives out his business card. I've seen how it happens. Yeah, I can imagine that. Yeah. He just gives out his business card.
2: Good yeah. stuff. So, anyway, that's, um, so, yeah, the Australians, I mean, Cameron Smith obviously um, been playing. He always plays well, Cam Smith. I mean, I, I, in fact, I want to see Scotty Scheffler play because he looks no good at all. Yeah. If you saw him and, at the
0: range, you'd go and fix him, wouldn't you?
2: <laughs> and he's clearly the best Teddy Green player in the world by a long yeah. way. Yeah. Clearly. yeah. So when I say he doesn't yeah, look absolutely. any good at all, you know, he, he's, he looks kind of, his feet move around a bit. and it, You know, it's not Classic. Tom Weisscroft or Tiger Woods, but the guy's obviously an incredible player. I mean, his ball striking this year and, his, and he, well, his ball striking has been off the charts. So his results have been off the charts because he's just, every single week, he's just phenomenal. So, um, yeah. I want to watch him play because I've never seen him hit a shot. So I'll go on. Hopefully, well, the problem is he'll be playing with someone massive, so the crowds will be out of control. But
0: you'll you'll get your inside the ropes access clothes. You'll find a way. I'm sure. Okay? Yeah, I'll,
2: I'll go and talk to Huggy and find a yeah, find a yellow badge. <laughs> Best of luck with that, well, mate. It's been
0: great of you to take some time to chat us. It's late at All night right. over there, and you're not a young bloke like me. And late at night is a hard time day for us, so we appreciate you sticking around. With that. Have a good week. Uh, and we'll Thanks, mate. Will you be filing any missives from over there?
2: I've I've got to sit down right now and write a preview for Golf Australia.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I will look look forward to reading that, knowing that you've written so, half so asleep. So,
2: it's, so it's eleven twenty, twelve twenty two. So Jesus I've, Christ, I've, I've given myself an hour and a half. That, that's it.
0: We better let you go. Thank you, mate. Really appreciate it. Enjoy the week.
2: All right. Thanks, mate.
0: And Jimmy, great to have you along as well. Thanks for coming in from home with your illness instead of bringing it into the studio and handing it on to me. So I appreciate that,
1: mate. It's my pleasure. I was only there yesterday, so don't use the microphone. I I was going to
0: say, you've probably left it around the joint somewhere.
1: Yeah, I'm sure I have. That's it for episode
0: 152 of the Good Good Podcast. We'll be back again when we've got a new Open Champion here on Good Good. Good Good.